Section 13 of The Blue Poetry Book, edited by Andrew Lang. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Eve of St. John The Baron of Smailholm rose with day. He spurred his courser on, without stop or stay, down the rocky way that leads to Brother's Stone. He went not with the bold Buccleuch, his banner broad to rear. He went not gainst the English yew to lift the Scottish spear. Yet his plate-jack was braced, and his helmet was laced, and his vaunt-brace of proof he wore. At his saddle-girth was a good steel spurth, full ten-pound weight and more. The baron returned in three days' space, and his looks were sad and sour, and weary was his courser's pace as he reached his rocky tower. He came not from where Ancrum Moor ran with English blood, where the Douglas drew and the bold Beclue gainst keen Lord Evers stood. Yet was his helmet hacked and hewed, his acton pierced and tore, his axe and his dagger with blood imbrued, but it was not English gore. He lighted at the chapelage, he held him close and still, and he whistled thrice for his little foot-page, his name was English Will. Come thou hither, my little foot-page, come hither to my knee. Though thou art young and tender of age, I think thou art true to me. Come, tell me all that thou hast seen, and look thou tell me true. Since I from Smailholm Tower have been, what did thy lady do? My lady each night sought the lonely light that burns on the wild watchfold, for from height to height the beacons bright of the English foemen told. The bittern clamored from the moss, the wind blew loud and shrill, yet the craggy pathway she did cross to the iry beacon hill. I watched her steps, and silent came where she sat her honest stone. No watchman stood by the dreary flame, it burned all alone. The second night I kept her in sight, till to the fire she came, and by Mary's might, an armed knight stood by the lonely flame. And many a word that warlike lord did speak to my lady there, but the rain fell fast, and loud blew the blast, and I heard not what they were. The third night there the sky was fair, and the mountain blast was still, as again I watched the secret pair on the lonesome beacon hill. And I heard her name the midnight hour, and name this holy eve, and say, Come this night to thy lady's bower, ask no bold baron's leave. He lifts his spear with the bold buccleuch, his lady is all alone. The door she'll undo to her knight so true, on the eve of good St. John. I cannot come, I must not come, I dare not come to thee, on the eve of St. John I must wander alone, in thy bower I may not be. Now out on thee, faint-hearted knight, thou shouldst not say me nay, for the eve is sweet, and when lovers meet is worth the whole summer's day. And I'll chain the bloodhound, and the warder shall not sound, and rushes shall be strewed on the stair. So by the black rood-stone, and by holy St. John, I conjure thee, my love, to be there. Though the bloodhound be mute, and the rush beneath my foot, and the warder his bugle should not blow, yet there sleepeth a priest in the chamber to the east, and my footstep he would know. 
O oh, fear not the priest who sleepeth to the east, for to Dryburg the way he has ta'en, and there to say mass till three days do pass, for the soul of a knight that is slain. He turned him around, and grimly he frowned, then he laughed right scornfully. He who says the mass rite for the soul of that knight might as well say mass for me. At the lone midnight hour, when bad spirits have power, in thy chamber will I be. With that he was gone, and my lady left alone, and no more did I see. Then changed I trow was that bold baron's brow, from the dark to the blood-red high. Now tell me the mean of the night thou hast seen, for by Mary he shall die. His arms shone full bright in the beacon's red light. His plume, it was scarlet and blue. On his shield was a hound in a silver leash bound, and his crest was a branch of the yew. Thou liest, thou liest, thou little foot-page, loud dost thou lie to me, for that night is cold and low laid in the mould all under the alden tree. Yet hear but my word, my noble lord, for I heard her name his name, and that lady bright she called the knight Sir Richard of Coldingham. The bold baron's brow then changed, I trow, from high blood red to pale. The grave is deep and dark, and the corpse is stiff and stark, so I may not trust thy tale. Where fair tweed flows round holy Melrose, and Alden slopes to the plain, full three nights ago by some secret foe, that gay gallant was slain. The varying light deceived thy sight, and the wild winds drowned the name, for the Dryburg bells ring, and the white monks do sing for Richard of Coldingham. He passed the court gate, and he opened the tower grate, and he mounted the narrow stair to the bartisan seat, where, with maids that on her wait, he found his lady fair. That lady sat in mournful mood, looked over hill and vale, over Tweed's fair flood and Mertoon's wood, and all down Teviot Dale. Now hail, now hail, thou lady bright, now hail, thou baron true. What news, what news from Ancrum fight, what news from the bold Beclue? The Ancrum moor is red with gore, for many a southern fell, and Beclue has charged us evermore to watch our beacons well. The lady blushed red, but nothing she said, nor added the baron a word, then she stepped down the stair to her chamber fair, and so did her moody lord. In sleep the lady mourned, and the baron tossed and turned, and oft to himself he said, The worms round him creep, and his bloody grave deep, it cannot give up the dead. It was near the ringing of matin bell, the night was well nigh done, when a heavy sleep on that baron fell, on the eve of good St. John. The lady looked through the chamber fair by the light of a dying flame, and she was aware of a knight stood there, Sir Richard of Coldingham. Alas, away, away, she cried, for the holy virgin's sake. Lady, I know who sleeps by thy side, but lady, he will not awake. By Eildon tree for long nights three, in bloody grave have I lain. The mass and the death prayer are said for me. But, lady, they are said in vain. By the baron's brand, near Tweed's fair strand, Most foully slain I fell, And my restless sprite on the beacon's height For a space is doomed to dwell. 
At our trysting place, for a certain space, I must wander to and fro. But I had not had power to come to thy bower, hast thou not conjured me so. Love mastered fear, her brow she crossed. How, Richard, hast thou sped? And art thou saved, or art thou lost? The vision shook his head. Who spilleth life shall forfeit life, so bid thy lord believe. That lawless love is guilt above, this awful sign receive. He laid his left palm on an oaken beam, his right upon her hand. The lady shrunk, and fainting sunk, for it scorched like a fiery brand. The sable score of fingers four remains on that board impressed, and forevermore that lady wore a covering on her wrist. There is a nun in Dryburg Bower, ne'er looks upon the sun. There is a monk in Melrose Tower, he speaketh word to none. That nun who ne'er beholds the day, that monk who speaks to none, that nun was Smailholm's lady gay, that monk the bold baron. Sir Walter Scott Liederhose Seeing Erlington and Cowden knows, where Holmes had once commanding, and dry grange with the milk white ewes, twixt Tweed and the leader standing, the bird that flees through reed path trees, and Gledswood banks ilk morrow, may chant and sing sweet Liederhose and Bonnie Holmes of Yarrow. But Minstrel Burn cannot assuage his grief while life endureth, to see the changes of this age that fleeting time procureth. For money a place stands in hard case, where blithe folk kenned na sorrow, with homes that dwelt on Liederbrays, and Scott that dwelt on Yarrow. Minstrel Burn Epitaph on a Hare Here lies whom hound did ne'er pursue, nor swifter greyhound follow, whose foot ne'er tainted morning dew, nor ear heard huntsman's halloo. Old Tiny, surliest of his kind, who, nursed with tender care, and to domestic bounds confined, was still a wild jack hare. Though duly from my hand he took his pittance every night, he did it with a jealous look, and, when he could, would bite. His diet was of wheat and bread, and milk and oats and straw, thistles or lettuces instead, with sand to scour his maw. On twigs of hawthorn he regaled, on pippin's russet peel, and, when his juicy salads failed, sliced carrot pleased him well. A turkey carpet was his lawn, whereon he loved to bound, to skip and gamble like a fawn, and swing his rump around. His frisking was at evening hours, for then he lost his fear, but most before approaching showers, or when a storm drew near. Eight years and five round rolling moons he thus saw steal away, dozing out all his idle noons and every night at play. I kept him for his humor's sake, for he would oft beguile my heart of thoughts that made it ache and force me to a smile. But now beneath his walnut shade he finds his long last home and waits in snug concealment laid till gentler puss shall come. He, still more aged, feels the shocks from which no care can save, and, partner once of Tiny's box, must soon partake his grave. William Cooper
Battle of Otterbourne It fell about the Lammas tide, when the Muirman Winder hay the doughty Earl of Douglas rode into England to catch a prey. He chose the Gordons and the Grahams, with them the Lindsays light and gay. But the Jardines wild not with him ride, and they rue it to this day. And he has burned the Dales of Tyne, and part of Bambrookshire, and three good towers on Roxburg fells, he left them all on fire. And he marched up to Newcastle, and rode it round about. Oh, was the lord o' oh, this castle, or was the lady out? But up spake proud Lord Percy then, and oh, but he spake hey, I am the lord of this castle, my wife's the lady gay. If thou'rt the lord of this castle, say weel it pleases me, for ere I cross the border fells, the tain of us shall be. He took a long spear in his hand, shod with the metal free, and for to meet the Douglas there, he rode right furiously. But oh, how pale his lady looked, fray off the castle wa, when down before the Scottish spear she saw proud Percy far. Had we twa been upon the green, and never an eye to see, I wad he had ye, flesh and fell, but your sword sell gay wi' me. But gae ye up to Utterbourne, and wait their days three, and if I come not ere three days end, a fause night ca ye me. The Otterbourne's a bonny burn, tis pleasant there to be, but there is not at Otterbourne to feed my men and me. The deer rins wild on hill and dale, the birds fly wild from tree to tree, but there is neither bread nor kale to fend my men and me. Yet I will stay at Otterbourne, where you shall welcome be, and if ye come not at three days' end, a false lord I'll thee. Thither will I come, proud Percy said, by the might of Our Lady. There will I bide thee, said the Douglas, my troth I plight to thee. They lighted high on Otterbourne upon the bent brown. They lighted high on Otterbourne and threw their pallions down. And he that had a bonny boy sent out his horse to grass, and he that had not a bonny boy, his ain servant he was. But up then spake a little page before the peep o' dawn. Oh, waken ye, waken ye, my good lord, for Percy's hard at hand. Ye lie, ye lie, ye liar loud, say loud I hear ye lie, for Percy had not men yestreen to doubt my men and me. But I had dreamed a dreary dream beyond the Isle of Skye. I saw a dead man win a fight, and I think that man was I. He belted on his good braid sword, and to the field he ran, but he forgot the helmet good that should have kept his brain. When Percy Wade the Douglas met, I wot he was Fufain. They swacked their swords till sair they swat, and the blood ran down like rain. But Percy with his good braid sword that could so sharply wound, has wounded Douglas on the brow till he fell to the ground. Then he called on his little foot-page and said, Run speedily, and fetch my ain dear sister's son, Sir Hugh Montgomery. My nephew good, the Douglas said, what wrecks the death of ain? Last night I dreamed a dreary dream, and I can the days thy ain. My wound is deep, I fain would sleep, take thou the vanguard of the three, and hide me by the bracken bush that grows on yonder lily-lee. Oh, bury me by the bracken bush, beneath the blooming briar, 
Let never livin' mortal ken that e'er a kindly Scot lies here. He lifted up that noble lord with a sout tear in his eye. He hid him in the bracken bush that his merry men might not see. The moon was clear, the day drew near, the spears and flinders flew. But mony a gallant Englishman, ere day, the Scotsman slew. The Gordons good in English blood, they steeped their hose and shoon. The lenses flew like fire about, till all the fray was done. The Percy and Montgomery met, that either of other were fain. They swacked swords and they twa swat, and I the blue drin down between. Yield thee, O yield thee, Percy, he said, or else I vow I'll lay thee low. Whom to shall I yield? said Earl Percy. Now that I see it must be so. Thou shalt not yield to lord nor loon, nor yet shalt thou yield to me, but yield thee to the bracken bush that grows upon yon lilye lee. I will not yield to a bracken bush, nor yet will I yield to a briar, but I would yield to Earl Douglas, or Sir Hugh the Montgomery if he were here. As soon as he knew it was Montgomery, he stuck his sword's point in the ground, and the Montgomery was a courteous knight, and quickly took him by the hound. This deed was done at Otterbourne, about the breaking of the day. Earl Douglas was buried at the bracken bush, and the Percy led the captive away. By Minstrelsy of the Scottish Border Lycidas, Elegy on a Friend Drowned in the Irish Channel Yet once more, O ye laurels, and once more, ye myrtles brown with ivy never sere, I come to pluck your berries harsh and crude, and with forced fingers rude, shatter your leaves before the mellowing year. Bitter constraint, and sad occasion, dear, compels me to disturb your season due. For Lycidas is dead, dead ere his prime, young Lycidas, and hath not left his peer. Who would not sing for Lycidas? He knew himself to sing, and build the lofty rhyme. He must not float upon his watery bier, unwept, and welter to the parching wind without the meed of some melodious tear. Begin, then, sisters of the sacred well, that from beneath the seat of Jove doth spring. Begin, and somewhat loudly sweep the string, hence with denial vain and coy excuse, so may some gentle muse, with lucky words, favor my destined urn, and as he passes, turn, and bid fair peace be to my sable shroud. For we were nursed upon the selfsame hill, fed the same flock by fountain, shade, and rill, together both, ere the high lawns appeared under the opening eyelids of the morn, we drove afield, and both together heard what time the gray fly winds her sultry horn, battening our flocks with the fresh dews of night, oft till the star that rose at evening bright toward heaven's descent had sloped his westering wheel. Meanwhile the rural ditties were not mute, tempered to the oaten flute, Rough satyrs danced, and fawns with cloven heel from the glad sound would not be absent long, and old Demoitus loved to hear our song. 
But oh, the heavy change, now thou art gone. Now thou art gone, and never must return. Thee, shepherd, thee the woods and desert caves, With wild thyme and the gadding vine o'ergrown, And all their echoes mourn. The willows and the hazel copses green Shall now no more be seen, Fanning their joyous leaves to thy soft lays. As killing as the canker to the rose, Or taint-worm to the weanling herds that graze, Or frost to flowers that their gay wardrobe wear When first the white thorn blows. Such, Lycidas, thy loss to shepherd's ear. Where were ye, nymphs, when the remorseless deep closed over the head of your loved Lycidas? For neither were ye playing on the steep, where your old bards, the famous druids, lie, nor on the shaggy top of Mona High, nor yet where Diva spreads her wizard stream. Ay me, I fondly dream. Had ye been there, for what could that have done? What could the muse herself that Orpheus bore? the muse herself for her enchanting son, whom universal nature did lament, when by the rout that made the hideous roar his gory visage down the stream was sent, down the swift Hebrus to the lesbian shore. Alas, what boots it, with incessant care, to tend the homely slighted shepherd's trade, and strictly meditate the thankless muse, were it not better done as others use, to sport with Amaryllis in the shade, or with the tangles of Nyera's hair. Fame is the spur that the clear spirit doth raise, that last infirmity of noble mind, to scorn delights and live laborious days. But the fair garden when we hope to find, and think to burst out into sudden blaze, comes the blind fury with the abhorred shears, and slits the thin-spun life. But not the praise, Phoebus replied, and touched my trembling ears. Fame is no plant that grows on mortal soil, nor in the glistering foil set off to the world, nor in broad rumor lies, but lives and spreads aloft by those pure eyes and perfect witness of all judging Jove. As he pronounces lastly on each deed, of so much fame in heaven expect thy meed. O fountain Erethus, and thou honored flood, smooth-sliding Mincius crowned with vocal reeds, that strain I heard was of a higher mood. But now my oat proceeds, and listens to the herald of the sea that came in Neptune's plea. He asked the waves, and asked the felon winds, what hard mishap hath doomed this gentle swain, and questioned every gust of rugged wings that blows from off each beaked promontory. They knew not of his story, and sage Hippotades their answer brings, that not a blast was from his dungeon strayed, the air was calm, and on the level brine sleek Panope with all her sisters played. It was that fatal and perfidious bark built in the eclipse, and rigged with curses dark, that sunk so low that sacred head of thine. Next Camus, reverend sire, went footing slow, his mantle hairy and his bonnet sedge, 
inwrought with figures dim, and on the edge, like to that sanguine flower, inscribed with woe. Ah, who hath reft, quoth he, my dearest pledge, last came and last did go, the pilot of the Galilean lake, two massy keys he bore of metals twain, the golden opes, the iron shuts amain. He shook his mitred locks, and stern bespake, how well could I have spared for thee, young swain, enow of such as for their bellies' sake creep and intrude and climb into the fold? Of other care they little reckoning make than how to scramble at the shearer's feast and shove away the worthy bidden guest. Blind mouths that scarce themselves know how to hold a sheep-hook or have learned aught else the least that to the faithful herdman's art belongs? What wrecks it them? What need they? They are sped, and when they list their lean and flashy songs grate on their scrannel pipes of wretched straw. The hungry sheep look up and are not fed, but swung with wind and the rank mist they draw, rot inwardly and foul contagion spread, Besides what the grim wolf with privy paw daily devours apace, and nothing said, but that two-handed engine at the door stands ready to smite once, and smite no more. Return, Alpheus, the dread voice is past that shrunk thy streams. Return, Sicilian muse, and call the veils, and bid them hither cast their bells and flowerets of a thousand hues. Ye valleys low, where the mild whispers use of shades and wanton winds and gushing brooks, on whose fresh lap the swart star sparely looks, throw hither all your quaint enameled eyes that on the green turf suck the honeyed showers and purple all the ground with vernal flowers, Bring the wraith primrose that forsaken dies, the tufted croto and pale jessamine, the white pink and the pansy freaked with jet, the glowing violet, the musk rose and the well-attired woodbine, with cowslips wan that hang the pensive head, and every flower that sad embroidery wears. Bid Amaranthus all his beauty shed, and daffodillies fill their cups with tears to strew the laureate hearse where Lycid lies. For so, to interpose a little ease, let our frail thoughts daily with faults surmise. Ah, me, wilt'st thee the shores and sounding seas wash far away, where'er thy bones are hurled, whether beyond the stormy Hebrides, where thou perhaps under the whelming tide visits the bottom of the monstrous world, or whether thou to our moist vows denied, sleepest by the fable of Belarus old, where the great vision of the guarded mount looks toward Namancos and Bayona's hold. Look homeward, angel, now, and melt with ruth, and, O ye dolphins, waft the hapless youth. Weep no more, woeful shepherds, weep no more, for Lycidas, your sorrow, is not dead, Sunk though he be beneath the watery floor, so sinks the day-star in the ocean-bed, and yet anon repairs his drooping head, and tricks his beams, and with new-spangled ore flames in the forehead of the morning sky. 
so Lycidas sunk low, but mounted high, through the dear might of him that walked the waves, where other groves and other streams along with nectar pure his oozy locks he laves, and hears the unexpressive nuptial song in the blessed kingdom meek of joy and love. There entertain him all the saints above, in solemn troops and sweet societies that sing, and singing in their glory move, and wipe the tears for evermore from his eyes. Now, Lycidas, the shepherds weep no more. Henceforth thou art the genius of the shore in thy large recompense, and shalt be good to all that wander in that perilous flood. Thus sang the uncouth swain to the oaks and rills, while the still morn went out with sandals gray. He touched the tender stops of various quills, with eager thought warbling his Doric lay. And now the sun had stretched out all the hills, and now was dropped into the western bay. At last he rose and twitched his mantle blue, Tomorrow to fresh woods and pastures new. John Milton End of section 13 of The Blue Poetry Book Edited by Andrew Lang